Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, Almost Here. Round the Corner Technologies. Uh, today I've got an interesting interview with Killian Kelly, uh, Vice President of Products at Synata Therapeutics. How are you doing, Killian? I'm doing really well, thanks. How are you? Good. Where are you uh, hailing out of? Where are you today? So uh, I'm in Melbourne, Australia, which is where uh, Synata is based. Um, so uh, we are, uh, yeah, we, we are headquartered here in Melbourne, Australia, although we do have activities kind of going on in various places around the world, and including uh, the U.S. Well, very good. Can you give folks a brief description of what Synata does? Sure. So Synata is a stem cell and regenerative medicine company. So it was founded uh, just a few years ago and um, specifically to develop a uh, new type of uh, manufacturing technology to mass produce stem cells for therapeutic purposes. In other words, to uh, develop new medical treatments. And the the technology originated from the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Uh, But as I said, the the company is now headquartered in Australia and uh, we're moving uh, some of these products forward. We have recently commenced our first clinical trial in uh, human patients. So it's, a, it's an exciting time for the company right now. Well, what, in the medical sphere, what specifically does uh, Sanata do? So um, in, interestingly, uh, stem cell-based therapies have a, have a very wide uh, range of potential applications. And, and the particular type of stem cells that we work with, which are called mesenchymal stem cells, um, uh, that is particularly true of these types of cells because they have a lot of effects, for example, on the immune system. And as you may know, there are a lot of medical conditions where the immune system plays a, a key role. So um, kind of, uh, it's, it's quite different to, for example, a traditional drug where you typically have a, a drug that treats maybe one or two conditions. These cells can be used for many different things. Right now, we are focused on um, primarily on a condition called graft-versus-host disease, which you might not be familiar with. It's it's a relatively rare condition, thankfully, but it's a pretty terrible one. And it, it's a complication of uh, bone marrow transplantation, which is a procedure that um, people with certain types of cancers have. And uh, essentially what happens is, is that the uh, immune cells from the transplanted bone marrow attack the person who receives the transplant. So it's almost as if the person has somebody else's immune system inside them. It's a really horrible condition, wow. but uh, we're, we're confident that our cells have a, have a real role to play here. So that, that's our main game at the moment. But the cells also have possible applications in a whole range of, of other uh, uh, conditions. And, and we have done preclinical research in conditions including asthma, uh, heart attacks, and uh, pulmonary fibrosis, which of course is another lung condition, and various others. So, um, it, as I said, it, there's really very broad possibilities with these types of treatments. Okay, tell me more about the treatment. How specifically does it work? You know, in the body. Right. So, so these cells, um, 
what, what people might be familiar with, with stem cells is that they have the ability to turn into different types of cells, and that, and that is true. However, the, the way that these cells work in the way that we're using them is somewhat different because another property of these cells is that they secrete a whole range of uh, what we call bioactive molecules, which then go and affect uh, other cells in the body. And so in some ways, it's, uh, they, they have been described as, for example, uh, drug factories, because these molecules they secrete are like drugs in many ways. And indeed, uh, one of the um, pioneers of, of mesenchymal stem cells, or, or MSCs as we tend to call them, a guy called Arnold Kaplan has more recently said that maybe he should have described them as medicine secreting cells rather than mesenchymal stem cells because that's kind of what they do. They just secrete all of these different compounds which um, have a range of effects. But most interestingly from our perspective, they, they, uh, some of these bioactive molecules have direct effects on the immune system. And what, what they can do is that they can basically calm down an immune response. Um, but unlike, you, you might be aware that there are certain drugs that suppress the immune system, but in a very blunt right. way. So in other words, those drugs will almost just uh, switch your immune system off, which is not really a good thing either. But what these cells um, do um, is that they, they are essentially respond to particular biological clues or in, in the environment that they are in. And so what, what they... Uh, have been shown to do is to have an almost um, kind of selective ability to to dampen down um, undesirable immune responses. So what we can, what we're hoping to show is that they will be able to um, minimise or even eliminate the problems caused by many of these immune mediated co uh, conditions, but not necessarily um, uh, introduce the risks associated with uh, essentially switching off the immune system. Obviously that. If you do the latter, you're at serious risk of, uh, of infection, for example, which is uh, a great problem for, for many people who are on immunosuppressant drugs. So wh why do these mesenchymal stem cells help suppress immune response, and do they do it in a natural and good way or in a, um, in a bad side effect kind of way? No, so they, they absolutely do it in a, in a natural and, and good way, so to speak. So, so these cells are cells that are in our bodies anyway. So everybody has these cells in, for example, their, their bone marrow and indeed in certain other tissues, including fat. Um, so these cells are, are in our bodies anyway and, and perform these functions naturally. Um, so what, what they um, they do is they, they respond to signals within our body. So for example, if you have a, um, uh, an area of inflammation, let's say you, you, know, you fall and you cut your leg or something and you have an area of inflammation, what we know is that these cells are naturally home to that area of inflammation and almost direct the, uh, the, the other cells within your body and, and what they should and should not do. The problem is, is that we don't have a huge number of those cells in our body. And as we get older, we have fewer of these cells and the cells are um, perhaps less potent. And, and that's hmm. believed to be one of the reasons why, for example, a child will often um, you know, incur a, an injury like that and recover very quickly where a, a, an older person may not. And so what we can do now by being able to 
if you like mass produce these cells we can actually then give somebody a you know a, a directed dose of these cells so even though they don't perhaps have enough of their own we can uh, get these cells in and uh, and help to uh, you know to do the job that they are naturally doing but to, to do it more effectively if you see what I mean. How do where do these cells come from are they um, converted from certain types of cells in your body are they created I mean how are they made? Yeah yeah no that's a great question <clears throat> because actually that is um, so that's the unique thing about Sinatos technology so there's been a lot of work done with MSCs over the past um, <clears throat> decade or 15 years but almost exclusively with cells that have been um, isolated from donated tissue typically bone marrow so in other words they take a bone marrow donation and then they kind of uh, they isolate the relevant cells and then they grow them in a lab but what we're doing is although our end product is the same in many ways it's still MSCs the way we we obtain them is completely different so we use um, uh, a technology which is called induced pluripotent stem cells or IPSCs which is a, a different type of stem cell and what that means is is we take a uh, as it happens a, a blood donation from a uh, you know a healthy adult donor and those yes. blood cells can then be um, reprogrammed is the term used to behave like embryonic stem cells uh, but they're not embryonic so we don't have the uh, controversies I'm sure you're aware of the ethical controversies right. and so on that have gone with embryonic stem cells but what mm -hmm. so what we get is cells that are derived from an adult donor so we don't have the controversy but they behave just like embryonic cells and the real advantage of that is is that embryonic cells have a, uh, a capacity to renew themselves uh, to an essentially infinite degree uh, so we can produce more or less limitless numbers of these cells and also oh. embryonic cells can differentiate into any other human cell type which is uh, kind of self-evident if you think about it because every cell in my body and your body right now originated from an embryonic stem cell and um, at some point mm. so this gives us so so the IPSC field in general has has huge potential for for all sorts of applications but one particular the, the particular use that we're focused on is um, using these IPS cells basically as a, as a starting material to mass produce other cells which in this case are, are MSCs and the real advantage of that is that it means we can produce all of the cells we'll ever need from the same donation so that that has a, a clear advantage in that we don't have to go out there and continuously try and find new new donors and bone marrow donation is not a, a straightforward or, or pleasant experience as you might be aware so it's not necessarily yeah, easy definitely. to get people to, do, to donate bone marrow so that, that's one problem we're avoiding but probably an even bigger problem actually is that uh, we know that cells uh, derived from different people are different which again is I guess probably quite intuitive because you know we're all different in many ways but specifically when it comes to MSCs uh, there is a lot of literature showing that, um, for example, if, if you and I both donated bone marrow today and they isolated MSCs from both donations, there would be perceptible differences between the cells that they um, ended up with. And that, that's a real problem if you're trying to develop a, um, a regulated, almost pharmaceutical-like medical treatment. 
because if you can't guarantee that the product is consistent every time you make it, it's it's an enormous challenge. Um, so the fact that we don't have that problem, in other words, we can keep making our product from the same starting material, we believe is a is a huge advantage. And uh, and of course, then the scalability as well is um, p- potentially very important. I mean, right now, most of these um, treatments are in the just the clinical trial stage where nobody needs a, a huge quantity of product. But if, um, for example, a product like this was approved for the treatment of a condition like asthma or, or heart attacks or something like that. You know, the, the sheer number of people that are out there with those conditions, even if only a very small proportion of them were to be treated with these cells, the total number of cells that would be needed would be absolutely enormous. And that, and that would be extremely challenging to um, to meet that demand if you were yeah, but if you, uh, donated tissue. Right, you're you're saying this can come from the person themselves. It's like, you know, they say, "Physician, heal thyself." It's like, "Person, heal thyself." Well, essentially, right? Well, actually, so no, so actually, these cells can come from the person themselves. But what we're doing is is different, actually. So we have a basically a bank of these IPS cells, which came from one individual, and we can then use our product in in anybody. We don't need to. Um, Another really exciting property of these MSCs is that they don't um, they don't trigger an immune response. So if, if for example, your MSCs were um, injected into me, I wouldn't um, have a have an immune response. I wouldn't um, you know that wouldn't cause any problems. So that means that we can take cells from one person and use those cells in um, in pretty much anybody who needs them. And what that means is then it gives us the opportunity to really um, to really make what is often termed an, an off-the-shelf pharmaceutical-like product. In other words, we just uh, off-the-shelf is perhaps a slightly misleading term because these cells have to be uh, cryopreserved in liquid nitrogen. So it's it's not quite like a, a you know a box of pills that sits in your local pharmacy. But the analogy is is still valid, I think, because what it means is that you know there's just a, a single product which can be supplied to anybody, and it's there and it's ready and waiting. Uh, they don't. The, the patient who requires the treatment doesn't have to undergo any tissue harvest procedure or anything like that. Right. It's simply something that comes in and would get um, typically, you know, injected or infused into them, uh, just like an IV, uh, you know, antibiotic solution or something like that would be uh, administered. So from the patient perspective, um, you know, the, this this would be a product pretty much like a, a typical pharmaceutical product. So that really opens up the possibility that it could be something that can then, you know, really be rolled out um, to the masses, if you like. It's not necessarily a, a kind of a, you know, a specialist procedure that only a handful of people might have access to. What stage are you at with it? I mean, you said a lot of these procedures are in clinical trials. Are you beyond that? Yeah. Are you at that stage? No. So, so no, we we are at the clinical trial stage. So, um, there there have been a huge number of clinical trials conducted with MSCs from the, if you like, the traditional source. In other words, from bone marrow and so on. In fact, I think right. it's now up to about 700 clinical trials all in, in a whole range of different conditions. And some of those trials are are the big, you know, phase three trials, which are the, you know, the last stage of trial required before um, registration for commercial use. 
Uh, but right. with our specific technology, as I said, this is a kind of a second generation manufacturing process. So we're we're just in our first phase one clinical trial right now in patients with graft versus host disease. Um, so we we obviously are really uh, keen to to get the results from that trial, and we we think we will have results during this calendar year. So uh, and then from there we we plan not only to progress with graft versus host disease, but also to uh, commence uh, clinical trials in in other conditions as well. So the road to get through all three stages is how long on average, like 10 years, 15 years? Yeah, so it's it, it does vary a little and partly based on the, the actual um, condition being treated. Um, probably not. Probably, I suppose, on average, I think it's about seven years. In fact, once you started phase one, uh, but as I said, there's, it varies a bit. And interestingly, with regenerative medicine products, there are now some opportunities for much faster progression. Uh, notably, in Japan, as it happens, they recently introduced new regulations that are, are specific to regenerative medicine, uh, cell-based mm. products where at the end of a phase two study, you can then get what's called a conditional approval, uh, which is valid for seven years initially. But although it's called a conditional approval, during that seven year period, it, 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 there is really no practical difference between that type of approval and the full approval. In other words, the product is on the market. Um, you're then just required to do further trials during that seven year period to, um, to be allowed to continue to market it after that point. So what that means is in Japan now, there is a, a real opportunity to um, get these products in the market very quickly. And mm. that has a, a resulted in a lot of interest among Japanese companies. And um, we have actually done a deal recently with uh, Fujifilm, who you, I'm sure, will have heard of um, from their photographic film days. But uh, right. they uh, probably what's not as widely known is that they have branched out very widely. And I guess they saw the uh, they saw what was coming with regard to um, you know digital cameras and so on. And uh, one of their areas of focus now is regenerative medicine. And so they recently have uh, invested in Sonata. They've uh, acquired approximately 10% of Sonata stock. And they have taken an option over our graft versus host disease products. And so I, I guess um, the, the new regulations in Japan are, are probably one of the things that has um, encouraged companies like that to really take an interest in this sector. So uh, with, with graft versus host disease in Japan, for example, if we were to complete a phase one study this year and then move into phase two next year, for example, uh, we could actually be very close to having uh, products um, on the market there, which is really exciting. Um, in, in Europe and the US, things are not quite that quick, but I think there's right. increasing moves towards, um, uh, you know, making the regulations um, uh, to tailoring them, if you like, towards these types of products, because they are quite different to drugs in many ways in that, um one important point is, is that the cell-based therapies for the for the most part have not been shown to have any um, particular uh, adverse effects um right. so so i think it, it changes the whole risk benefit balance from the regulatory perspective and i think that's really what um what motivated the japanese to to change their regulations regulations so you know we'll um we'll see 
if uh, similar moves take place, for example, in the U.S. Um, I, n- I know that President Trump is talking about uh, changing the way things are regulated across the board. So I, I, I guess mm-hmm. nobody really knows what that means in practice at this point in time. But, you know, we, right. we'll we see as time, time moves forward. Well, I mean, there's, you know, like you alluded to this, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people that have all kinds of terrible conditions that, you know, clinical trials are wonderful, but they don't want to wait for them to go through while they mm-hmm. die. So, you know, thank God Japan and places like that are trying to speed this along. You know, I know we don't want to compromise anyone's safety, but on the other hand, um, you know, the more technologies that yeah. are in place that can save lives, the better, the faster. You know? Well, absolutely. And and that's, I think that you, you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. It, you know, the, the safety concerns are obviously really important. Nobody wants a situation where, where, you know, new medical treatments are just, you know, freely launched onto the market with no oversight, especially if there's a risk that they would actually do harm rather than good. And so, you know, that's really where the whole regulatory framework that sits around drugs came from. You know, we had um, disasters like thalidomide in the 1960s and so on, where, you know, nobody had really evaluated what effects they might have on an unborn child and so on. And so that's really what prompted that framework. But as I said, with these cell-based therapies, so far at least, there there really is no evidence that those kind of problems are, um, uh, you know, are out there with these cells. So I think it really does change the uh, the perspective. And, and as you say, it, it, it certainly is a, you know, a, a terrible situation when people have a, a, a debilitating condition, potentially even a life-threatening condition, and they're aware of a treatment that might be able to help them, but they, they can't access it. And unfortunately, that is the reality for a lot of people a lot of the time. So I think anything we can do to kind of speed the process up um, without compromising patient safety is, is right. you know, that's what everybody should be working towards. Is there a black market for, I'm not asking you to tell people how to access it, but I mean, is there such a thing that you've heard of for clinical trials or treatments that, you know, aren't out commercially available, but people are so desperate to get them that they somehow find someone to provide them? Have you heard of such a thing? I I, I don't think so, really. Um, primarily because, you know, the, the pro- most products like, I mean, ours is no different, but the same would be true of pretty much any, you know, therapeutic product, really. Um, the, in most cases, they're there would be no way to access the product without the company itself supplying it. So unless mm-hmm. the company was complicit in that, it would be hard to see how it would happen. I guess where you have, um, uh, there probably are some rare cases where something like that might be possible. For example, if there is, um, you know, if it's a, if, if the drug or the treatment is based on a, a kind of a compound that is already you know accessible from some other way like so sometimes you have for example a um uh, something that might have only been used as a food additive and somebody kind of decides that using it in a higher quantity might make it have therapeutic purposes or something like that and in that case maybe there might be some opportunity but generally i don't think that's really um a big problem at the moment as i said uh, generally these products are you know, there really is no way to get hold of them without the company itself right. supplying them. Um, okay. and, and, you know, it, 
generally the 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 um, people we're supplying these products to are you know reputable um, you know clinical investigators and so on who um, I, I would be pretty surprised if uh, many of those people were likely to be involved in anything like that. Right. Right. All right. Well, last last question or two. Um, yeah, I should have asked this earlier, but what are some of these specific? And I know it depends and it varies, et cetera. But either the hopes or the actual results of the mesenchymal stem cells that you guys are producing to treat asthma, to treat this rejection of um, bone marrow, you know, and the other ones you mentioned. Like, what are some of the effects that you've seen or that you think yeah. will happen? Can you quantify? Right. Them? So, well, if I start with graft versus host disease, um, as I said, we don't have data in patients just yet. We do hope to have that very soon. But what we do know is that people have used the MSCs derived from bone marrow in graft versus host disease in quite a number of clinical trials, which have been published in you know leading journals. So there's quite a bit of data out there on those cells, and, and we think our cells will have at least similar effects. And it's really quite remarkable. So graft-versus-host disease is, um, is, a, is a really terrible condition, as I said. It's, it's often yeah. fatal. Um, and what we've seen is with bone marrow-derived MSCs is that patients treated with those MSCs have what is called a complete response in up to 70% of cases. And a complete response means that the GVHD is, is literally gone. They have no more symptoms of it. So it's that's great. You know, it's you've take it, it's amazing, yeah. And so the first the first case report of of using these cells for those patients was in I think 2004 in Sweden, and it was a child who was expected to die imminently, and the child made a complete recovery and was still alive. You know, I think it was a year later, according to the publication, and they commented that you know they had seen, I can't remember the exact number, but it was a large number of patients with a similar grade of GVHD, and they had never seen one survive wow. a year before. So, you know, we're talking about a really remarkable effect. So that's what we're yeah. hoping to kind of see. Now, as I said, that was in 70, about 70% of patients in most of these trials. So, you know, unfortunately, it's probably not going to work for everybody, but, um, you know, that would be a pretty amazing outcome if we saw something like that. So we we're really, really hopeful about about that one. In asthma, uh, again, we we haven't moved into a clinical trial there yet, but we did announce some preclinical um, data um, in a mouse model of asthma um, recently, and and the results were, were really quite remarkable there as well. So so what we saw was that the um, the MSC treatment uh, reversed. There's, there's um, a few key features of asthma. One is obviously this what we call airway hyperresponsiveness, where you know in response to an allergen or something, the airways kind of constrict, and that's why people have an asthma attack and struggle to breathe. So right. first and foremost, we 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 found that the cells are, um, almost eliminated that airway hyperresponsiveness. So the the, wow. the asthmatic mice were almost the same as as the mice that had never had asthma induced after they got the treatment. So that's really exciting. But even actually more interesting is what we see in asthmatics in, in humans as well as in animals is you get what's called airway remodeling. So because it's a chronic condition, what you have to have is you kind of get fibrotic changes in the airways and so on, which so you've actually, you, you're, you're pretty much getting you know, lasting damage there that, that generally doesn't go away, and existing drugs don't like reverse scarring, that at right? all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
But what we saw was, um, so in these mice, is that the cells actually um, reversed that to a degree as well, which is, as I said, wow. not something that has been seen with any existing treatment, to my knowledge. So we're we're really excited about that one as well. Um, it, clearly, it's, it's early days. As I said, we haven't started treating humans with asthma yet. Um, but, you know, it's something that we're... Um, you know, you know, we really want to um, move forward. Again, asthma is an extremely common condition, as you probably know, um, it, particularly in Australia for some reason. Um, about 10% of the Australian population has been diagnosed with asthma. Hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it really is. Um, and some people are kind of under the impression that it, it's asthma is just kind of a bit of an inconvenience and you know people use an inhaler and then, then they're fine well and i have asthma and i know yeah yeah I, I have asthma but it's pretty well controlled but yeah some people it's uh it's very scary they have to go to the hospital multiple I, times and they could easily die from an attack you know I, 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 absolutely and that's just what i was going to say i mean in some people it is true that it's perhaps not uh it doesn't have a major impact on their life but there's a real spectrum and in some people they they cannot get the condition controlled and they yeah they end up in hospital regularly and 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 people still die of it so in australia alone i think there are between about 200 and 400 people die every year of asthma and the population of australia is, isn't very big it's about 23 million so you know, you could probably multiply um, those numbers by, you know, 10 or 15 if you if you want to consider a country like the United States. So it's still for for at least a, a section of the population, asthma is a is an absolutely huge problem, and that it, it's kind of that end of the um, of the spectrum, if you like, where we see that our therapy is probably going to be targeted initially, and you know, if we can bring a meaningful disease modifying effect to those people that would be huge right well very good um what's the best way for people that are interested in learning more about your research and perhaps even clinical trials when you're ready um to contact you what's the best way well we we have a, a website of course which is uh www.synata.com synata is spelled c-y-n-a-t-a uh, there's lots of information on there. Actually, we have, uh, you know, we, we realize that, you know, the, the, the technicalities of this is, is not something that many people are familiar with. So we've got an FAQ section there, which tries to, you know, explain things as, as well as we can. And of course, there's also a, an email address and a contact form on that website. So if people want to get in touch, they can do so that way um, and our, our clinical trials um, will, will all be uh, there'll be information about really whatever we're doing on that website we try and update it as, as often as we can okay well Killian thank you so much for the time I appreciate it and it's been uh, been a great interview thank you no thank you it's uh, thanks for the opportunity and I've, I've enjoyed it and um, yeah uh, uh, it was great to talk to you you have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.